Hello and welcome to CIO Leadership Live New Zealand. I'm Cathy O'Sullivan, the Editor-in-Chief for CIO in Asia-Pacific, and I'm delighted to welcome my guest today, Joe Hilson, who is the Chief Technology Officer at Tourism Holdings Limited. Joe was recognized as part of our CIO 50 in 2022 for the work she and her team are doing at THL. She has more than 20 years experience across a wide range of industries from startups to multi-million dollar market leaders, both here in New Zealand and in the UK. Welcome, Joe. Hi, Kathy. Thank you for having me. Oh, great to have you. Great to catch up with you again. Um, so for those of um, those watching who don't really know a lot about THL, can you tell us a little bit more about the organization and what you and your team do there? Yeah, sure. So... Tourism Holdings Limited. So we are a tourism company and we actually operate quite widely. So we're in New Zealand, we're in Australia, the USA, UK, Ireland, Germany and Canada. So um, part of what we do is we provide camper vans and RVs for rent and sale. Um, and you'll recognise some of their brands like Maui, Brits. Um, in Australia, we've got Apollo, Hippie, Just Go and Bunk um, through the UK, Al Monte. Winnie Bago and Kia, just to name a few. Um, we also design and manufacture the camper vans. So um, we do that across New Zealand and Australia and some specialist vehicles as well. So uh, the likes of the St. John's Ambulance, um, we build that. And uh, we've also got the operation for Discover Waitomo. So that's your caves, the Blackwater Rafting, the Waitomo Homestead, and finally, we have Kiwi Experience Bus Tours. So we're quite a diverse tourism company, which is great. Um, so for me in my role, it's global and, and my teams are accountable for a number of things. We build our own products, so our fleet management system, our telematics products, and we also have the accountability around cybersecurity, data, IT operations across the globe, supporting all of our staff. And um, yeah, quite a lot, actually, busy times. And with the recent merger with Apollo at the end of last year, it's um, even busier. So really exciting. Wow, huge variety there. I didn't realize everything from ambulances to caves you look after, huge, massive role. And um, now you have worked in, in various industries, as we said, from the outside, you know, from health to insurance and now tourism. So can you tell us a bit more about um I guess, transformation and, and how it has taken shape in your career. It's often, you know, it is a buzzword. You know, a lot of people say they're transforming, but, you know, and, and like it's just a done thing. It's just easy, but it's not an easy thing to do. So can you talk us through kind of how transformation has taken shape throughout your career? Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, if I think back even 10 years ago, there was this conscious approach to we are transforming and you're right, it was that key buzzword and that word would appear on all of our strategies and transformation programs would be set up and roles would be created with transformation in the title and sometimes if you had a budget big enough, you'd be consulting one of the big consulting firms. So, you know, there was a significant sense of importance that came with that and a massive expectation that you were going to be creating some fundamental change and, and magic, I guess, um, because of the volume of people involved and, and the sheer size that it grew to be. But it didn't actually always turn out that way. And in my experience, it, a lot of the times it just got too big and went off tangent when you're trying to transform because you lost sight of 
what it was that we were trying to do. Um, and it became complicated and expensive. So, you know, as the years have progressed, I've noticed a lot more reduced transformations. You know, we're not trying to change the world. We're trying to, you know, keep it within a reality of what we can achieve um, and deliver in less time as well. So for me, it's changed significantly. And I, I don't really call things transformation anymore. It's just that continuous improvement. So a massive shift from the great big bang or all in to actually just make this part of BAU. And I think that's something that's really important because A, it takes the pressure off and it keeps it more realistic as well. That's a very interesting approach, you know, taking it back to, you know, the simplicity of what you're trying to do. So what do you think are some of the kind of key steps CIOs must take along the way, even if they are looking at transformation from that business improvement point of view? Is there ever kind of something that will kick off, you know, a, a change within an organization? Yeah, I think there's things that could kick it off. It could be the CEO's got a plan and there's something new coming or, you know, at the end of the day, it's just you're planning for the next financial year or the current financial year. I think what's important as a CIO, no matter what the circumstances, is that you are able to define that North Star, you know, why are we doing it? What are we doing? Where are we heading to? So that clarity is really important and it needs to be aligned to your strategy. So when I'm talking about transformation in that North Star, I'm also you know, giving the same message that my CEO would be giving in, in regards to validating, validating that strategy. So definitely that, understanding why we're doing it and where we're heading. And then it's easier for me and everyone else in that role to kind of enable people to come on that journey. So another big part of that is to remember it's not always technology. You know, there's more than technology. There's people in process with any sort of transformation as well. So making sure that that big picture awareness and thinking is constantly there is super, super critical. You know, coming back to the earlier question around those transformations, we made it very quick about technology in those days. And that was a big mistake. So having the roles and those reminders of who's involved in that transformation um, is also really vital as part of the, the journey. So, you know, any change can be hard regardless of, of your role or, or regardless of your organization. So what's been your strategy for dealing with challenges when they um, pop up, you know, whether it is people, whether it is legacy systems or, or constrained budgets, what are some, some of those kind of common roadblocks that come up when you're implementing these transformations and how do you avoid them or I guess um, help them along on the way there? Comes to your plan and, you know, the better the plan, the better you can manage um, a lot of those blockers uh, or be aware or prepare for them. And of course, you know, a plan's as good as the information you have and the people that are involved in, in telling you the story and the dependencies or impacts. So, you know, for me to have a good plan is to know who needs to be involved to help create that plan. And again, it comes back to it's always more than technology. If, if you've only got a technology team involved in transformation, you're likely going to fail because the change is going to be impacting somewhere else, whether it's process, people. So make sure you are really clear on who needs to be involved in that plan so that you can bring them on that journey. I think that's definitely one thing. Um, and then part of that is the other end. So, you know, you've obviously got to a point where you've delivered that transformation 
but how's that change management been, you know, managed as well? Is it effective? Are we able to manage that resistance and then that business readiness support that comes with it as well? So, you know, for me, the challenges are absolutely right. You've always got legacy and budget. I think they're kind of a no-brainer and expected in any, any transformation program of work, but it's actually focus on a really good plan and the people that need to be involved Make sure you've got some good change management practices and also your business readiness, because at the end of the day, you want to just support the teams along the way when you roll out and you go live and you're holding their hands through to the end. I love that. Yeah, that business readiness and making sure you're not setting it up for failure. And so you mentioned earlier that you like to see transformation as, you know, continuous improvement, part of BAU. With that approach, then, how do you manage change fatigue, both internally within your team, but also, you know, within the wider organization? You've been through a lot of change at THLs, particularly with the merger now. So how do you manage that? You've got to find time for rest. Rest and recovery is, is like sports. It's kind of like you've got your A game, your A game, your A game. But to your point, there's fatigue and we're humans, right? So we've really got to make sure that we're thinking about that well-being component of our crew because they can't operate at this level, you know, 24 by 7. There's going to be some sort of consequence. And I definitely don't want that. You know, I want to make sure there's a well-balanced approach. So, again, it comes back to planning and it comes back to opportunity to make sure that I'm encouraging my teams to take some time out. Um, but at the same time, I've created a transformation program or a continuous improvement, you know, whatever I'm calling it, opportunity where there is an end and they've actually got to a place where they've gone ah I've achieved something you know so they're getting that recognition as well for themselves you know we're all humans we all like to say great I feel good I've achieved something I've learned something from it so it's a combination really of making sure that we're getting you know small bites of recognition and uh, value that's come out of it and then when they have been going at those longer you know term sort of transformations and some of them can go on for over a year we're really focusing on that time out for them that time to kind of breathe relax even if it's a holiday you know they might not have been able to take a break in that time because obviously time time frames or deadlines whatever it might be it's just really bringing it back to them and their well-being and their opportunity to recover and listening to okay are you ready for the next challenge or is there something else that's going on because there's always BAU and other projects in my world so there's more more than one opportunity where they can also give their view on, hey, yeah, I'm ready for this next big program of work, or actually, I'd like to try something else. So really listening and being mindful of, of the crew, because, you know, they are the ones that are going to be driving that delivery, and we, and we need to look after them. So for me, it's definitely around that. Absolutely. And I guess working in a, a tourism related business as well, you see all those beautiful pictures like the one in your background there of, of uh, beautiful New Zealand and, and other markets that you serve. So I'm sure that um, makes people think about their own holidays as well. Um, so uh, speaking of buzzwords, another buzzword that's, you know, that, that comes up is AI. It seems like a day doesn't go by that people aren't chatting about ChatGPT and DALI-E and all of the other generative AI tools that are emerging. So what role do you see for AI in the tourism industry? You know, is it something that you see value for in your organization? 
Absolutely. I, I think every organisation should see value in AI. And, you know, whether we like it or not, I, I, AI, I should say, is part of our environment. You know, I see it naturally occurring through some of the software that we already have, and I'll get an upgrade and, bah, yeah, we've got this new AI feature in it. And, you know, to your point, Jet, chat GPT, it's just like just being used so much more. And, um, you know, for me, the value is the reality is with my teams, there's so much work. There's absolutely so much work that we can't always focus on the innovation and the opportunity for automation. So when something like this comes along, I'm like seizing the opportunity because it can take us so much further. You know, the one thing that I do want to balance, though, is I want AI machine learning to be a complement to my team, not a replacement. And so that's the area that I'm still really trying to figure out, well, how, how do I manage that and how, you know, how is that effectively really going to occur? But for me right now, you know, for example, we've just done a replacement data warehouse and some of the key drivers on the decision was that AI machine learning capability because it's an area that we just haven't touched on a lot and it's an area that will drive a lot of value. You know, data is everything for us and by the size of our company and obviously the variety of the different tourism components, there's just so many opportunities that we just can't get to alone because of everything else that we're focusing on. So for me, it's something that's definitely going to be top of mind in the next financial year. We've already made some decisions on some software to implement um, and where it takes us, you know, 12 months after that, I'm excited by. Um, and I'm even excited just to see it in our day-to-day -day living, you know, outside of the organisation the one thing, though, that does concern me about AI is, you know, because it's developing so quickly and maturing that humans will get lazy and stupid. So that's why, you know, I'm coming back to the whole it's there to support us. So we still put a lot of emphasis on ourselves as humans to do the work um, in parallel. Yeah, absolutely. It's a fascinating area. And who knows this time, 12 months, where we will be with it. Um, so, Joe, um, tell me, how do you um, influence and collaborate with, you know, both your, your leadership team that you sit on and the wider organization? How do you, in what ways do you work with them as, as chief technology officer? So I'm a real people person. So put me in a room and I'll talk to anybody. I love talking, socializing and, and connecting with people. So for me, um, Forming relationships is key so that I can influence. We are physically located in a different building to um, the majority of the business um, in Auckland. So that also makes it a lot more difficult because I don't have that regular interaction. And of course, COVID has seen a lot more people working from home anyway. So for me to build relationships is absolutely critical. So I will look for every opportunity that I can and whether that's a Zoom call or whether that's going out to the branches to see people or going across to head office as often as I can. It's really important so that I'm seen and people get to know me. Um, and then on top of that, what I also do is, you know, a lot of emails. I, I send out a lot of company-wide emails just on updates about things that are going on. So that more and more people are familiar um, and more importantly, with my teams, you know, the key thing is that I'm constantly able to say, hey, we're here and we're demonstrating value and this is what we've delivered this time and this is the impact that it's, it's, it's going to have on you and your team. So 
mainly through that relationship building, I'm getting that influence. And then I'm ensuring that my teams are also doing that and we're able to constantly demonstrate value, which gets hard when we're a company the size that we are because you can't please everybody. But then I can at least also be having those conversations which are, hey, you know, you're not doing, we're not giving you this this time around, um, but we will look at planning, you know, in the future or maybe we want to think about a workaround. So just keeping those connections open and that communication open, but also making it wider than just my, my executive team. You know, I love learning more about the business and who's in the business and those key roles and those people as well. Now, you mentioned the COVID word earlier, and it has changed, you know, a lot about how we work, but it has also brought technology into sharp focus for a lot of organizations. And of course, tourism was one of the industries really badly hit by the pandemic. So how do you think the role of the CIO has changed since, you know, we were all locked down and and told to go home? I think there's a lot more pressure on us to trust because we don't see the people as much as we uh, you know once would have and you know I can even say that within my own teams we have a policy where um, it's two days in the office and three days from home so you're no longer in the position where you're seeing them on a regular basis five days a week understanding you know how the effort is so there's this massive trust expectation on us to go yep they're at home and they're still doing a great job and and turning things out Um, and I think that's you know it's a big shift. It's actually a really big shift because, you know, physically seeing something versus kind of going, oh, yeah, I can imagine that's going on are vastly different. So, you know, I personally have seen a lot of change in me and going, yep, okay, great. They're doing what they've got to do. And if I'm seeing the output, I'm happy. I think that's one thing. And then the other part is, you know, and I touched on it before, is well-being is huge. It's absolutely huge because, it's no longer nine to five and it's actually okay not to be nine to five. Um, But then that does have impacts on people's lives and their well-being because obviously they're at home. And so there's a lot of other things going on. So being aware of that and being able to respond and have those support mechanisms um, in place as well. So it's quite interesting. I kind of feel as a CTO, it's not so much about, hey, we've got the right tools and you've got learning opportunities. It's like, actually, I'm looking after you and how's your health and are you taking time out? So a lot more of that softer side and that empathy coming out um, is more more important or just as important um, this day and age with the pandemic. And it'll be interesting to see if it changes with companies, with people swinging back into the office more. I'm watching that space, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's it's changing all the time, isn't it? So just expanding a bit further on that, um, you know, you mentioned that empathy piece and really, you know, caring for your team. Are there any other kind of key attributes that you think are, you know, really key for a successful modern day CIO or CTO when it comes to leadership? I think it's probably any sort of leader, not necessarily just the CIOs and CTOs, is is that self-awareness. You know, it's constantly being as authentic as you can. You know, you want to drive a passion. You want to drive an excitement. You want to remain positive. At the end of the day, I'm also working from home and I don't get, you know, the teams don't get to see me on certain days. You know, there's a lot going on in everyone's world. It's kind of like actually 
everyone's, you know, at times people can be a lot more stressed. There's a lot more deadlines all happening at once. So for me, it's just making sure that I still remain aware, even though I'm physically removed, I'm still aware that, you know, that may be going on. So it's really important that I stay close to my leadership team and that they're keeping me in the loop and they're feeling comfortable and, you know, confident that they can speak to me about that. I think the other thing is, you know, around promoting that inclusion. So again, physically not seeing them, but when opportunities come up, don't forget them and continue to promote inclusion with any new initiatives that um, may come my way. I mean, in my job in particular, there's always change. There's always new initiatives um, coming. There's a lot of unplanned work. So, um, you know, remembering that I've got a wider team, I've got teams not only just based in New Zealand, they're around the globe. So making sure that inclusion is consistent um, and making sure I'm timing those catch-ups, you know, where it's obviously going to be, you know, as much as possible suitable for everybody to dial in. So, yeah, I think it's definitely around that self-awareness, promoting that inclusion and maintaining that passion are really key attributes of a modern day CIO. And like I said, any leader, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And look, you've touched on some of this already, but, you know, when it comes to that internal culture, what kind of things are you doing, you know, to help people feel like they really belong at THL and, you know, that they are achieving those personal and professional goals, no, no matter what their role is? So this year I um, purposely put in budgets for training. So we have, um, you know, with, with the pandemic, obviously a lot of it was, was cost cutting, but there's just so many advancements in technology. And also in regards to my teams, I want them to cross learn and under and have opportunities to learn maybe other areas that they would consider moving into. Um, you know, one of the things the pandemic did was we lost a lot of our staff. And as a consequence of that, you know, everyone's replaced now, but I'm like, okay, I want to make sure that you're feeling that you're getting growth and you're getting opportunities. And that doesn't always just mean you're going to be a junior developer and intermediate intermediate developer a senior developer it's like you might want to go into data and insights you might want to look at architecture you might want to look at project management you know the roles are extremely wide so I've provided the um, training opportunities as um, someone in my position I get invited to a lot of um, seminars and opportunities you know in the last year there's been heaps so if these tickets, I'll always say, does anyone in the team want to go? Here's a good opportunity to get out and meet some new people, hear from different perspectives. Um, and then with the restructure, so after COVID, when we lost a lot of our team and when we built them up, it gave me the opportunity to have uh, more of an even spread of capability. So we were very top heavy very top heavy and there's not a lot of room for everyone to go you know you can't all be CIO so it gave me a great opportunity to bring in you know grads and juniors and intermediates so we've got a really balanced team now of capability which is great because you're all learning from each other there's different perspectives um, and that's been super helpful for for their personal growth um, from KPI point of view, we always make sure we have your personal growth opportunities as well as the business-driven ones as well. So, you know, a massive focus on that. And as an organisation, you know, it's a really important important part for us. So not only just in technology, but for all roles throughout, throughout THL. So I get a lot of that support from the rest of my executive um, team and obviously those, those initiatives that they run. 
Now, Joe, you're one of very few female CTOs and CIOs that um, I've had the opportunity to to speak with. And, you know, I really enjoy listening to the perspective of women in, in senior leadership team, in senior leadership roles, sorry. So can you tell us a bit more about what attracted you to technology and what kind of practical things do you think can be done to attract more women and people from other diverse backgrounds, you know, whether it be neurodiversity or, you know, different ethnicities? How do we get a better reflection of the New Zealand that we live in, in roles in IT? Great question. Um, my career, funnily enough, started when I moved into a flat in the UK and it was full of database analysts and accountants. And my mum is an accountant. So I'm like, no, I definitely don't want to go down that route. I've seen what she does. So um, they encouraged me to take my skills. And so I had been working in marketing before I left New Zealand. And part of marketing, as a lot of people will know, is that constant change. And so I would be testing all the systems to make sure that all the changes had gone through onto the systems and, and I'd be signing them off. So unbeknown to me, they're like, well, that's what a tester does. So my career started by moving into this flat and then, then you know, recognizing that actually I've had some experience with testing, writing a CV and, you know, away I went. Um, being in the UK at the time of Y2K also helped because there was just jobs everywhere. Um, you know, you recall it was just panic stations all around the world. So I was very fortunate and the first job that I got was testing and then it kind of evolved from that to an IT help desk and then it went from that to business analysts and came back to New Zealand and studied and do, did development and networking and web design and, and pretty much tried every role that I possibly could along the way. Um, and so, and I loved it. And when I was at university, there was only me and one other female in a lot of my IT classes. And I remember at the time loving that fact. I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, I'm different, and but I absolutely enjoy it. And I think I learned IT is not always coding. You know, the one thing that university did for me and all that, all that job experience was there's just so many different jobs. And it's funny because even this day and age, you know, I'll talk to my friends and they say, I'll say that I'm in IT and they just think, oh, you do everything. Like, no, I don't do everything. Most of them think I can fix the broadband, but it's like, no, I don't do everything. Um, I've tried a lot of things, but it doesn't mean I'm good at them. And I think this is the key. And I think the key when I think about my daughters who are at school is school. It's absolutely got to start at school and as and I mean primary school and I don't mean high school I mean primary school because technology is absolutely necessary and it's not hard it's got a lot easier and there's a lot more variety and opportunities for children with different capabilities strengths and personalities and I don't think they know that enough. And there's still this fear that, oh, you've got to be an absolute wizard or this, you know, the smartest person in the world. And that's the only way that you can get into IT. And don't get me wrong, there's lots of smart people and wizards, but actually there's lots of creative and arty people and just people that love to deliver or, or people that just are curious that also would do well in IT. And so I truly believe if the school curriculum made it as normal as possible and educated us or well, the children more on the opportunities, we would not lose 
a lot of the opportunities that we don't get through through New Zealand because, you know, by the time you get to high school, you might get the token class that you can attend. Otherwise, you're really reliant on having money to go to a university or a polytech to learn the skill, which is a shame and not everyone can afford that. So I truly believe if schools in the early years put more emphasis on the curriculum and made it as normal as possible, uh, we'd have a lot better chance of improving that diversity and having, you know, greater sense of even females or, or whatever you are, you know, in IT. But without that, I still believe it's it's deemed too hard. You need to be super, super intelligent when the reality is, no, you just need to have a passion for it and an interest and here's all the opportunities. Does any of this, you know, look attractive in, in one way or another you know, my daughter, I've got a daughter who's year 12 and she's got a fabulous opportunity to come and have some cyber security experience for term two as part of a work experience program. And her teacher said to her, oh, I didn't think that would be your thing. And my response was based on what, you know, so there's still a lot of that mentality out there. And it's really disappointing because I absolutely, absolutely love working in IT. You know, like you said, it's been 20 plus years. We'll just call it there. And, you know, the variety and the diversity of the people that I get to meet, you know, the just the general passion and abilities and capabilities. It's 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 a fantastic environment. And, you know, like I said, I've been very fortunate to work in many, many different roles and, and it's been fantastic. And I wish everybody else got to see that and, and and not turn a blind eye, you know, prematurely because they just haven't really been given the opportunity or the guidance about, you know, from people around them to take it to that next level. Absolutely. Yeah. Gosh, what disappointing uh, feedback from, from your daughter's teacher. Yes. Um, I was my tongue. Hopefully we can change that. So, you know, for for people who are already in IT and, you know, do aspire to be a CIO or a CTO, what advice would you give them? Thank you, time. Um, You know, a lot of the grads and a lot of the new entrants into IT all want to be a CIO. And I'm like, I get that completely great. You know, you're driven. But look around, like get to know where IT exists, um, you know, and like I mentioned earlier, my team, I've got data, insights, architecture, digital delivery, I've got enterprise, I've already said enterprise architecture, I've got so many opportunities, business analysts, project managers, take your time and try the other areas, you know, get a rounded, holistic view and experience in IT. Don't just focus on that one area because it's fascinating. You know, cybersecurity, no one thought they'd want a job in that, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Can't get into it fast enough. It's just amazing how it's also growing and enhancing. And so for me, the advice would be don't go in a straight line. Don't have a career in a straight line where you think it's just straight to the CIO. Try and explore and experience um, would be my, my advice. Great advice. And so, you know, you've you've had quite a, a busy time with, with the merger and, you know, we're, we're facing some, some pretty hefty economic headwinds this year. So can you tell us what's important to you in the months ahead? 
Yeah, so um, with the merger, so with the Apollo teams, we've brought them in, we've all combined as one company, um, bringing systems together as one, which is keeping us all very busy and new transformation opportunities. So for me, it's really going to be learning how two companies operate better as one and how those ways of working can improve. So I'm a massive believer of continually improving the way that we operate within my own teams. So as I mentioned, with all of those different roles, it's kind of like it can get noisy and complex and who's doing what. So I'm going to be focusing on the teams and how we can improve and, and you know, provide a lot more to obviously the bigger company that we have now and, and, and globally reaching um, as one company and I'm quite excited so we've got a lot of planning that's about to kick off and deciding what our strategy is going to be from a technology point of view for the new financial year and then what those priorities are also going to be so um, AI is definitely on there automation but um, you know just able to nail that down and, and learn a lot more about the new team that have, that's joined us and yeah keep us busy and no doubt the 12 months will fly by. Absolutely. And hopefully you'll have time for an old camper van trip along the way. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Joe Hilton, Chief Technology Officer at Tourism Holdings Limited. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Kathy.